This is the Thorn Podcast, the show that navigates the complex world of wellness and explores the latest science behind diet, supplements, and lifestyle approaches to good health. I'm Dr. Robert Roundtree, Chief Medical Advisor at Thorne and Functional Medicine Doctor. And I'm Dr. Frank Lipman, New York Times bestseller and Functional Medicine Doctor. As a reminder, the recommendations made in this podcast are the recommendations of the individuals who express them and not the recommendations of Thorne. Statements in this podcast have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. Any products mentioned are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Thorn Podcast. How are you doing, Bob? Oh, pretty good. Uh, I am, you know, learning the new routine of life at home. It's not just something that we're doing temporarily, it seems. It's going to be for the foreseeable future, so I'm kind of getting used to it as best as I can. I I have to say I'm catching up on some of my reading. I've had, you know, all these novels sitting at the side of my bed for years thinking someday I'm going to read those. So (laughs) I, I, you know, I enjoyed reading Jerome Groupman's book, How Doctors Think, which is a fascinating Uh, book. uh, Good. Actually, I'd been meaning to read that a while ago. That's thank you for reminding me. Yeah. Terrific, terrific book. Kind of discouraging because you realize that there's not nearly as much a consensus as medicine as the public might think. You know, they get the idea that doctors pretty much think along the same lines. And this book really points out that that's not the case at all. That, you know, you can have a chest X-ray and show that to 10 different radiologists and you may get 10 different viewpoints of what that chest X-ray shows. So it's very, very interesting, the kind of stuff that comes up in that book. Okay, so let's get into the main topic this week which is hormones and you know hormones is a major major topic it's a huge topic we'll try to start off covering it and see where we go but i think the the most important thing to understand about hormones is they all work together as a symphony it's very difficult to measure or to see one hormone in in the context by itself i think it's so important to see hormones as a symphony and and them all working together i mean i constantly you know will see someone or someone comes in and they say well i've got low testosterone or i've got insulin resistance or i have pcos whatever it is and how do i bring my estrogen down or how do i bring my testosterone up or whatever the story is and I think for, it's so important for people to understand that all the hormones work together. It's very difficult just because, let's say you do all these bloods and you come back with a low testosterone. Just taking testosterone um, as a hormone replacement is not the answer. You've got to see why that symphony is out of whack. I mean, it's a, it's a perfect sort of functional medicine way of looking at it and I think hormones sort of fit that model really well you you know you can't see one particular hormone out of context with the rest of the hormones what's your take Bob yeah well I think there's two major categories of hormonal issues that people come into the office with and and just to point out that there's several different groups of hormones there's the reproductive hormones you've already mentioned testosterone there's the glandular hormones like thyroid and pancreas, which 
makes uh, insulin that controls your blood sugar, adrenal hormones that control your energy level and, and the way you uh, experience stress. So, you know, lots of different kinds of hormonal issues that come up. I would say I put them in two major categories. One is the person who's got some kind of hormonal disorder, you know, uh, uh, that can happen at any age. A young person can get hypothyroid from thyroiditis and they clearly have something wrong with them. You know, the constipated, dry skin, hair falling out, depression, you know, weird lipid problems, high triglycerides. So there's there's tip-offs that something is is really wrong with that symphony you're talking about. And that there's no question that that's something that needs to be corrected. Yep. So, you know, that's correct, one yeah. of our jobs as a doc is to go, is there pathology here? Is there something wrong? Is the person, you know, not making enough insulin because they have type 1 diabetes? Do they have Addison's disease where their adrenal gland is, has failed? And then there's the whole hormone and aging issue, you know, which brings in the category of menopause. And for men, the andropause, which is, you know, the male version of that. And that's it's a little bit murkier you know, because there's a very divided medical community about what should be done. Should women in menopause get hormones or not? Should men who are feeling tired and a, a lack of libido, should they get testosterone? And this this is an issue that I have discussions with people about every single day. Right. No, absolutely. So thank you for clarifying all of that. Yes, I agree 100%. So what is your take on, let's say someone um, presents to you with symptoms of low testosterone, you, you do the bloods and they come back with low testosterone and most of the other hormone levels are normal or within the normal range. What, where do you go with that? And what age are we talking about? If we're talking about a young guy, are we talking about a middle-aged guy or an older guy? Okay, let's talk about a middle-aged guy because I see that a lot. I see, you know, a lot of middle-aged guys come in with low testosterone and sort of symptomatic. You know, they're looking, you know, they've obviously seen commercials of low T. They're, low T. They want testosterone replacement. So, you know, the first thing is to, to really lay out the, the scenario to them, which is that just because testosterone is low doesn't mean you need to immediately jump to that as an intervention. And, the big part of the scenario that needs to be explained is that chunk of the reason that testosterone drops is that uh, either the person's not producing it or they're converting it into estrogen. Exactly. If yep. they're converting it into estrogen through this enzyme called aromatase and you yep. give them testosterone, it's going to convert into estrogen, which is and not what you want. All- <laughs> and and I see that a lot, by the way. I've seen so many probably 40, 50-year-old guys who've obviously had low testosterone. They went to their doctors, get given testosterone, and actually they can you do bloods and they come back with maybe high-ish testosterone, but they come back with high estrogen too because that... And their breasts get bigger. Right. That understanding is, is, is for whatever reason, not taking into account that testosterone will get converted into estrogen. I've seen this over and over again, and they're not given aromatase inhibitors. You know, for instance, my compounding pharmacist, when we use 
uh, estrogen, he makes a bioidentical estrogen and he puts chrysin in, which is sort of, um, we, we like quercetin. Chrysin also is a flavonoid and that is a natural aromatase inhibitor. So I think it's important for men to really understand that if they are going to take testosterone, that it can be converted into estrogen and often is converted into estrogen. So you need to mitigate that and either have some chrysin put into the testosterone if you're going to get bioidentical or do something that is not going to get it converted to estrogen because I do see that fairly commonly. One thing I would point out is that that enzyme aromatase that converts testosterone to estrogen is activated by inflammation. And I, I have seen people with inflammatory disorders, like I'm, I'm even thinking of a guy, middle-aged guy with ulcerative colitis, who I, I measure his testosterone and it's off the chart low. And I thought, well, that's really weird. Why He's a relatively young guy. Why is that happening? And of course, I measure his estrogen and it's up. So this is not you know, somebody who's being treated with testosterone, he's just naturally got an activated enzyme. And it's for two reasons. One is he's got inflammation from his ulcerative colitis. So his C-reactive protein is elevated. And two, he's got belly fat. Yeah, that's the other thing. So obesity, I, see that, I see that with belly fat and alcohol too, seem to be yep. two factors that seem to convert the, or inhibit the aromatase. Uh, or not, or affect the aromatase. Yeah, upregulate uh, up, the aromatase. Right, so they, they go from you know testosterone to estrogen. So those would be the two factors I see. A lot of belly fat or obesity, but not even obesity, a lot of belly fat, metabolic syndrome, and alcohol. Yep, so making these lifestyle changes is a really good way to naturally raise testosterone without having to take any herbs or anything at all, just simply yeah. exercising more. And I especially find that High-intensity interval training does that more than anything else. Right. And what's your take on protein or muscle mass and testosterone? Well, I think the more muscle mass you have, the, the more your testosterone goes up, right? So, so do you, I think pumping is good. So, so you think protein shakes help? Uh, I don't think that profound. I think working out helps. Right. I think working out helps. That's... um. You know, I think you know my friend Gio Espinoza, who's a sure, yeah, he's a naturopathic yeah. doctor. You're nat, you know, yeah. holistic urologist. Yeah, I sent people to him. Yeah, yeah, very bright guy. Yeah. Practices in New York City, yeah. and um, you know, we had the same discussion about these guys with low testosterone, and he had basically the you know similar feedback. Is he said, I just get them pumping iron and combining that with hit, and that that alone does the trick like you know it's less clear that if you just put them on whey protein or something like that that that's going to make a huge difference right so let's shift over a little bit because we can't just deal with the testosterone story well it's an important story of course and <laughs> being a male as a male like what other story is there <laughs> Let's shift over to the, the similar thing I see in women who come in with actually lowish, also sort of women in their 40s who, or, or whatever, who come in with low progesterone and sometimes highish estrogen, sometimes the estrogens are normal, but it's probably from, you know, estrogen dominance, but they're presenting with low progesterone. So it's sort of a similar issue 
Well, do you see that a lot? Um, I do. I think part of the problem is that there's so many chemicals in our environment exactly. that are yep. end endocrine disruptors. Yep. They can interfere with our hormones with this symphony you talked about in a lot of different ways. But it seems like estrogen is the hormone that takes the biggest hit. It seems like that so many of these chemicals like organochlorines, DDT, dioxin, PCBs have estrogenic effects. And that disrupts the hormone signaling, right? And so it can create an effect where even if estrogen levels are normal, the xenoestrogens, which yes. means foreign estrogens, are so overshadowing estrogen that it, it basically is drowning the natural progesterone that's in the body. And so the first thought I have is to detoxify, right? Instead of, you know, just going for, okay, you got this problem, take a hormone. But, you know, I would be more likely to use, I might use an herb like Vitex, which is a hormone regulator. And then I would detoxify, you know, I would use uh, a combination of, say, uh, broccoli sprouts, you know, right. Crucera, which is sulforaphane and DIM yep. and pomegranate. Yeah. Now, I use that a lot and uh, seems to help. So, you know, what, what Bobby's saying here is we also helping with the metabolism of the estrogens by adding this DIM or diindolmethane or sulforaphane. So how you metabolize the estrogens is very important. So um, before you just rush to increase the progesterone, it's how do we actually decrease the estrogen metabolites or, yep. or, or push, shift, push them shift down them. the right path exactly. shift them yeah yep. Yep. and and i do i do want to throw in a uh, a word for uh for vitex uh chasteberry which is a, an amazing herb for regulating hormones in uh everything from uh young girls with pms to perimenopausal women to menopausal women it's a very very safe herb it's got really good uh, research on it. And, you know, I've seen uh, people who, I've seen couples who spent lots of money on fertility specialists, didn't get anywhere, and the woman started taking Vitex and got pregnant. So it's a, it, you know, it's the real deal, Vitex. And so, you know, that's the other thing I would I would do is I use that to try to balance out the that low progesterone scenario you were talking about before i'd go to hormones right and and what you know we always do anyway is these lifestyle factors make a huge difference your sleep dealing with stress exercise all are going to affect those hormones and 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 i think you know the sugar insulin metabol metabolism always affects these as well i mean i have had so many people especially perimenopause who come in with perimenopause symptoms, low progesterone, and you just get them off sugar, and it makes such a huge difference. So it goes back to this, you know, the hormones as a symphony, you know, getting the insulin response and cortisol, dealing with their cortisol with the stress, getting those the insulin and the cortisol a little bit more balanced helps the sex hormones significantly. But I, but I have a question for you about maca root which I, I use a fair amount too. What's your take on maca root? Well, maca is in the same family as broccoli, right? It's a distant relative of broccoli. Oh, I didn't realize that. That's yeah, it's a rat, it's maca is a kind of radish, oh, right? 
and it's uh, the active ingredient in it is glucosinolates, which are the same active ingredients you find in broccoli. Oh, is that why it's so effective? That's interesting. That's why it's so effective. But it's probably got other things, I think, is it mucosides or something like that that has hormone-regulating properties. But I, it's a great adaptogen. Yep. And we know that in, in, in Peru and other uh, countries that cultivate it up in the Andes, that it's eaten by all age groups. And so that's the good news about it is that it's, you know, it's very safe you know, for little kids to eat it. I mean, people put it in soups. They make ice cream out of it. They do all kinds of things with it. So it's a food, but it also happens to be a hormone balancer. Interesting. So I, because I see a lot of women with low progesterone and the first place we start is obviously lifestyle changes. And I use Vitex and Maca together with great results, I've got to say. So I didn't realize that that Maca was sort of in the same family as broccoli. That's very interesting. But I've found the maca and the vitex together work really well. Yep, I, I think maca's great. And if you put it in a smoothie, it actually tastes pretty good. It has kind of a butterscotch flavor. So it's, I've used it more as a powder, you know, having people buy a bag of the powder and put it in their food than I have as a supplement. Although I know there are some good supplements out there, but sometimes people get tired of taking so many pills. And so if I say, here, put a teaspoon of this, you know, in your in your green drink every day, then that's a good thing. Right. Let's, you know, you mentioned it in the beginning, uh, a little bit about menopause and andropause. And as, you know, as we, as we are old farts and our hormones start going down, women, men, what's your take on hormone replacement therapy? Um, well, women versus men. Both. I mean, I think... Yeah. Yeah, I think women, if a woman has got bad hot flashes, vaginal dryness, uh, lack of libido, moods, you know, all the classic symptoms of menopause, and she hasn't had a period in over a year, and her bone density is low, you know, there's not a lot of things outside of hormone replacement that's going to hit all of those targets at once, especially the hot flashes. Now, I do sometimes use, a, I think it's a Siberian rhubarb or I use uh, remifenin. You know, I, I try the other things. I sometimes try soy. So I'm not saying I don't, you know, try other things leading up to hormones. But if I see a woman who's really having a difficult time with menopause, it's hard to, it's hard to avoid using, say, an estrogen patch, which I think is pretty safe. The whole question is whether you want to do that for an extended period of time. That's one question. And another one is if the woman is, say, six years out of menopause, is it too late to do hormones? And I, I think you could go either way on that one. Right. And I do think, you know, same as we talked about using chrysin if you take testosterone so you don't get it converted into estrogen. Whenever I use bioidentical, I usually use bioidentical estrogens or hormone replacement, I will also add some dim or sulforaphane, and, and now that I'm doing more genetic testing with the 3x4 genetics, you can actually tell if people have weak detoxification pathways or weak hormone metabolism pathways. So, you know, if someone comes up high in those areas, then they definitely need to add some DIM, some broccoli, you know, some DIM or sulforaphane to 
the hormone replacements. I, I, you know, I'm, I agree. I'm not against the hormone replacement. I don't think it's that dangerous if it's done in a way that you you mitigating the possible possible side effects. So using bioidenticals and also using some of these nutrients that actually can shift um, the the metabolism of the estrogens. Yeah, I'd almost uh, agree to the point where I'd say that it should be standard of care for every woman on hormones to be getting supplements like sulforaphane, glucosinolate, Crucera, or you know, or Dem Plus that's got the combination, all those things to mitigate any toxicity, potential toxicity from the estrogen. So I'm, I'm a big fan of doing that. And then, you know, telling the woman to eat a lot of broccoli and flax. I'm a big fan of flax meal. Right. I have a lot of women on flax meal, you know, which helps with detoxification. Right. Anyway, this is good. Uh, we, we need to take a break now before we go to questions from our listeners. Aging is an inevitable process, but there are things we can do to help us age better. That's exactly what my outstanding co-host discusses in his latest book, The New Rules of Aging Well, a simple program for immune resilience, strength, and vitality. In this beautifully illustrated book, Dr. Lippman unveils a simple program to ensure that your body ages as healthily as possible with simple, practical, and doable tips based on ancient wisdom and backed up by the latest science on longevity. Dr. Lippman helps identify lifestyle changes that will significantly improve your natural aging process by optimizing fitness and rest, dietary habits, and focusing on inner health and deeper wellness. Whether you are 25 or 65, this book should be essential reading for those interested in building better immunity, wellness, and longevity. The New Rules of Aging Well is available in hard copy, ebook or audiobook. Order your copy today by visiting drfranklipman.com. That's D R F R A N K L I P M A N dot C O M or through Amazon and other major book retailers. And we're back now. Now it's time to answer some questions from the community. Our first question this week comes from a listener who asks, what are the causes of low testosterone but normal estrogen levels? Well, that's the scenario that we're outlining is when you have an activated aromatase enzyme, which is converting all that testosterone into estrogen. So it's just going down the drain. So it doesn't you know, necessarily show up as high testosterone, just having, I'm sorry, high estrogen. estrogen. Yeah. yeah, it's that your estrogen doesn't have to be high to indicate that that's the case. But, you know, what you wouldn't see is low testosterone and low estrogen. Okay, so Bob, how do you raise testosterone naturally? Are there supplements that are helpful? And do you use those before you go to pharmaceuticals? We talked about these lifestyle changes that are so effective, but are there supplements that can be helpful? Yeah, I would say my go-to herb is Tonkat Ali, Uricoma longifolia, I think, something like that. 
To the herbalist out there, I'm sorry if I botched that, but it, the common name is Tonkat Ali, and sometimes called Long Jack. I think it's the real deal. There's a number of published review studies on it. It comes from Malaysia. It seems to be safe. You know, I don't think we completely understand the mechanism of action, but it also seems to help with energy and general quality of life. So people do feel better when they take it. Great. So here's another question, which sort of is relates to a lot of what we talked about. Does low progesterone always mean estrogen dominant? It's sort of similar to that low testosterone and well, normal. They, yeah, they two, they're over, the two overlap a lot. You know, the problem is the diagnosing low progesterone. Are we talking about diagnosing it based on a test or diagnosing it based on symptoms? So the testing for progesterone is is difficult because it's somewhat pulsatile. Yes. And, right. And so if you, you don't measure it at exactly the right time, you you may not get the numbers right. No, that's important because your, your progesterone you know varies so much. And I always tell women when, when we do measure progesterone to go around day 21 of their cycle because you know that you you'll get a better idea but i agree with you i I, and when someone comes in with low progesterone i'm always actually using them or some of those uh supplements or uh, herbs that actually help the metabolism of estrogen so in a way you can assume low progesterone there's some, uh, there could be some estrogen dominance. Uh, there are other factors going on with hormones is treating the symphony again rather than just giving you, just taking some progesterone supplement. So the two scenarios, low progesterone and high estrogen or high exposure to xenoestrogens often go together, but they're not one and the same. Okay, last question is about PCOS, which we didn't really address. So we can address it now. Does high testosterone always mean PCOS? This is obviously in a woman. PCOS being polycystic ovary syndrome. Well, I would. I mean, the short answer is no, but PCOS, so the other way around may be true. In other words, every woman with high testosterone doesn't always have PCOS, right? But, but PCOS, first of all, it's the most common hormonal abnormality in women. Young women, yes, um, absolutely. Yeah, in young women. And it usually manifests as irregular periods or lack of periods and excessive body hair and, and often acne, increased belly fat, all those things go together. So the issue is which is the chicken and which is the egg? And the reason I say that is because PCOS can actually cause high testosterone. Right, and PCOS is often caused by insulin resistance so yes to, yes to, my point yeah talk talking about uh, the symphony again you know you cannot deal with you know pcos as just a sex hormone problem we're talking about it's usually a sugar metabolism or an insulin resistant problem as well that needs to be addressed and my experience has been if you catch pcos early just changing someone's diet and giving them some Basic supplements often helps. Obviously, as it gets more entrenched in the body, it's a little bit harder to do. You've got to do more than change the diet, but all the, always you will have to go on a low-carb type of diet. Now, it's interesting because of this whole notion of in the days of the tribe, you know, when people were hunting and gathering, that the uh, the women, at least this is the theory, is that 
uh, that women with PCOS would be infertile when there was plenty to eat. That's interesting, yeah. And when the tribe would run out of food and people were near starving, the women with PCOS would become fertile. Interesting. And that's exactly what you see is women that they lose weight, they, you know, they eat less, but I mean, it takes a lot to do that, but they go on calorie restriction or intermittent fasting and suddenly they yep. get fertile. Yeah. And that, the hairiness goes away. The acne goes away. And that's, you know, the whole idea is, well, they're the ones who carried on the genes of the tribe. Right. And that's interesting because PCOS is often I recommend intermittent fasting for PCOS. That's very interesting. So last question, Bob, this one's definitely a good one for you. This comes from a woman saying, taking an estrogen blocker after double mastectomy. My muscles are super sore. Help. Oh, boy. So they're taking probably a drug like Arimidex. Yes, I'm sure. Something yeah. like that, you know, which I certainly wouldn't stop that. You know, boy, that's a really, that's a tough one. What's, what's, your, what's your take on, once again, you know, the DIM and the natural estrogen blockers? Do you think that, you know, some... Oh, I think they're fine to use together. Right. You know, I'm not sure. I'm, uh, you know, the question would be, what's the mechanism? Are the muscles sore because low estrogen is, you know, somehow depriving them? In which case, would very gentle workouts have some benefit there? Would using a phytoestrogen like flax be beneficial? What about maca? You've mentioned maca which is an adaptogen that helps with estrogen metabolism. Maybe maca would be helpful. That's a good idea. I might consider something like hydroxymethylbutyrate, HMB, you know, which is used to help rebuild muscle mass. So, you know, I would think gentle exercise, swimming, you know, not like weightlifting or anything like that. And then a combination of, say, the flax, ground up flax meal, a tablespoon every day. And, you know, maybe... Dim and or sulforaphane, as you mentioned. Great. Thank you, Bob. So, all right, folks, that's all the time we have this week. Thanks for listening. And thanks, Bob, once again for always a fascinating chat. Let's keep it up. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Thorn Podcast. Make sure to never miss an episode by subscribing to the show on your podcast app of choice. If you've got a health or wellness question you'd like answered, Simply follow our Instagram and shoot a message to at Thorn Research. You can also learn more about the topics we discussed by visiting thorn.com and checking out the latest news, videos, and stories on Thorn's Take 5 daily blog. Once again, thanks for tuning in and don't forget to join us next time for another episode of the Thorn Podcast.